0: So welcome to our Dharma Practice Day. And for those of you who are new, these Dharma Practice Days are an opportunity to explore some Dharma theme, practice theme, <clears throat> in community. And uh, and to do it a little bit more full way than just reading about it or hearing a Dharma talk. And to engage in the theme personally, to see how it could become personally relevant for you. And the... Uh, The big part of these days is to practice in community, which means that we'll take sometimes during the day to have conversations. Either you'll maybe partner up with one other person and talk about some aspect of the theme or meet in small groups and do the same thing. Uh, And uh, a lot of the learning in Buddhism, a lot of the development of practice happens in relationship to other people. And by talking about the Dharma, hearing their experience, being able to share your experience, there's a variety of ways in which um, <clears throat> community is really central to the unfolding of practice in a way that if you only learn about meditation, it wouldn't be obvious. You think meditation was, you know, the Buddhism was all about doing it yourself and finding your own way. And I can say with confidence that, um, you know, a tremendous amount of my practice has really been dependent on practicing in community with others. In fact, I probably would simply couldn't have practiced as much as I did um, uh, without the support and the presence and the inspiration of people practicing around me and, and uh, learning from them and conversing with them and struggling with them, all kinds of things. So uh, we'll take um, <clears throat> some time for a um, little teaching, some meditation, some discussion and uh, some breaks through the day. We'll take a break, maybe in about, I don't know, uh, 40 minutes or so, so hopefully that works for you. Uh, Or you can slip out to the bathroom if you need to. And then we'll um, have a lunch break, and then in the afternoon we'll have a break about halfway through. And Hopefully that rhythm works for you. And... um, so the theme for this year, for these Dharma Practice Days, is what's called the paramis. And uh, they are virtues or practices that are central to, um, or as I may say central, but very important, very supportive of their overall de- development of practice. And then they also are very supportive for uh, finding or expressing both compassion and liberation. So, um, so what makes a, these virtues a parami is that somehow they're connected to our capacity to be free. So, like one of the the first parami is uh, generosity. So many people are generous in beautiful ways. For it to be a parami, not only is it generous in a beautiful way, but it's also in doing being generous, we feel that we become freer that we're not so stuck or caught, or we're kind of liberated in the process of giving. But also, in the giving, there's a sense of compassion, or caring, or empathy, or friendliness, or kindness in the act. So we don't just give for our own sake, like, I'm going to be free, so I'm going to give you something. But uh, uh, there's a sense of being connected to other people, and in that connectedness, there's empathy, compassion, care. And then if gener- generosity is yoked together with a sense that we're freer in the act and it's, there's compassion present, then, um, then this virtue becomes a parami, uh, which uh, uh, usually translated into English as a perfection. Um, I think maybe the English associations with the word perfection is maybe not appropriate for pa- the word param- paramita or parama means more like the ultimate or the highest. Um, So the highest virtue, you know, highest because of what brings us the highest good in the world uh, that comes from practice. So today's uh, parami is um, renunciation. And uh, renunciation is a topic which has a reputation of being unpopular in uh, the lay, Western practice world. Uh, renunciation is often associated with monasticism, they living a life of renunciation, and they give up a lot. They give up having uh, money, they give up having, uh, being sexually involved, they give up um, you know, having uh, a range of different clothes to wear, they give up, they give up concern for their looks, their hair, uh, they give up all kinds of things to live a very simple life. And it's not meant to be a life of asceticism, though from a modern Western affluent point of view, it would seem very ascetic, the life of a monastic. But it was designed in the time of the Buddha to provide the, um, the, just, a, just the middle kind of lifestyle or kind of the, the sweet point between indulging in the world of senses and material goods and being an ascetic and denying oneself. So the idea was to have just enough to be comfortable uh, in, uh, in housing, and clothes, and food, and medicine, so that they could live a settled, peaceful life, and they can practice well. Um, and um, and so um, the idea is that it's meant to be an optimal condition for cultivating a profound sense of freedom and happiness without denying oneself. Uh, So for those of us who are lay people, who are not going to go off and live a life of simplicity in the monastery, uh, how is it that the teachings of renunciation, of letting go, uh, can be seen as something that moves us in in a direction that supports or enhances our freedom, our compassion, enhances our capacity to be really present here in a peaceful way, uh, enhances our capacity to be in an appropriate way, deeply satisfied in just being and breathing and being present and being involved in the world. As opposed to feeling constantly dissatisfied and constantly wanting more, getting rid of things or being aversive or uh, being caught up in all kinds of things. So the idea of renunciation is a fairly powerful idea and um, it's different than, it belongs to a family of actions that include letting go, release, releasing, giving up clinging. Um, I don't know what other words are like that, the concepts are like that, but um, uh, relinquishment is another word that's sometimes used. And uh, what I like about the word renunciation is that uh, in Latin it literally means to, um, to announce again, to state again. And uh, so, there's nothing inherent in the Latin, root, Latin roots of the word about letting go of something. Um, but they, what's inherent in the group in the in the in the Latin is the idea that you are um, stating clearly for yourself, or kind of a kind of a emphatic um, uh, announcing to yourself, or commitment to yourself. Or decision that you make. That this is something that's, that there's something that you want to let go of. Something, some activity that you'd like to stop. Some activity you'd like to stop. And uh, and I think that I hope that all of you have had some experience of uh, having renounced something, let go of something, stop doing something that you felt, you know, I've had enough of this. This is no longer helpful. It's it's no longer something that I I, I believe in. Um, It's uh, something that I'd rather not do anymore. I'm better off without it, so I'll stop doing it. Uh, One of the things that um, lately a few people have told me but in their contact with Buddhism, they have renounced is uh, alcohol. And they feel like their life has gotten so much better Uh, They weren't alcoholic, they weren't drinking very much, they they just found that everything seemed to be better. And they were so happy that they had renounced or stopped uh, drinking any kind of alcohol whatsoever. I've known people who've given up up cigarettes uh, or given up, um, uh, some people I've known have given up uh, TV and um, found that their life is so much richer because of it. Uh, There was something dampening by watching TV. So there's m- many things people could renounce. I know some people who also, uh, people who come practice, will sometimes renounce a gossiping. Now the difference between renouncing and letting go of gossiping or any of these things is that renouncing makes it clear it's a bigger deal. Because you can let go, to me, letting go is an action of the moment. So at this moment, I'm gonna let go of getting, more, getting any alcohol to drink. At this moment, I'm gonna let go of gossiping. I can feel the impulse to gossip or speak meanly or something, I'm gonna let go of it in a moment. Renunciation is a bigger movement where we no longer believe in it, no longer wanna be involved in that activity more generally. So to renounce something is say, there's a kind of a commitment, yet this is something I've I've decided I don't wanna do. And so it's kind of a higher order of of commitment, of decision, and um, and the hope, I have the hope, that the movement of renunciation comes from wisdom within us, some clear knowing. It's not an obligation to renounce. It's not an obligation to let go of something in Buddhism. But there's a kind of a maturation that goes on as people live their lives, as people practice, that it's an expression of maturation and wisdom. Say, oh, enough of this. I think that I'll stop doing this now. It might not be so easy to stop once you made the renunciation because the impulses come back, but it's a sea change to have made the decision. Okay, enough of this. And then the question for us today, one of the things we'll explore, is how is it that making a decision like that to renounce, how can it be done in such a way that it supports our life, supports our practice, that it somehow enhances the movement towards freedom and compassion rather than detracts from it. Because not a few people have encountered Buddhism or sometimes other religious traditions and hear about the teachings on renunciation, letting go, and so they've just let go of their money and their house and their family and their cars and their money and you know, they, they just think that's the game, you know, just let go. And they ended up being a prune you know, these kind of shriveled up and the kind of the life force was taken out of them and, and they get kind of mean or snarly or bitter or, or kind of or sometimes extremely strict and judgmental for other people. The movement of renunciation can be done in the wrong way that people actually, it's not healthy for people. And it can be done in ways that it's very healthy, very beautiful. And uh, um, not a few Buddhist monastics have been, who have done various big movements of renunciation, um, have inspired others tremendously by their joy. They're so light and so joyful, and so rather than becoming kind of uh, diminished by the experience of renunciation, shriveled up into a prune, they have kind of grown and swelled and, you know, and they're kind of, you know, their their joy is contagious. It's so wonderful to be around them. So renunciation is the topic for today. <clears throat> and um, so I thought we could have a conversation. You guys can have a conversation now that I've introduced the topic. And you know, uh, just a re- relatively short conversation. Maybe we'll take 10, 15 minutes for you to have a short conversation. And uh, I suggest that you form groups of, of four. And, um, and in your group of four, introduce yourselves. And then... Um, the topic is, this little talk I gave renunciation. Um, what did that arouse in you? What, what uh, happened to you in hearing it? Did you find it boring? <laughs> did you find it exciting? Do you find it frightening? Did you find it uh, inspiring? Are you like, I can't wait? Or, uh-oh, you know, I have to let go of that. Um, you know, and also that guided meditation we did, the ending, the ending with this idea of what do you want to let go of? You might share that if it's appropriate, if it feels appropriate to the group here. Um, what did you let go of? Um, so just what arose for you? And you don't have to say anything that you're uncomfortable sharing, but it'd be nice to just get a sense of some of the things that happened to you and your thoughts, your responses, your feelings for this topic as we begin the day. And uh, so groups of four, and what I'd like to suggest the format for the discussion is you go around in a circle, and um, think of it more as a listening exercise than a speaking exercise. So you're really going to listen to the people who are speaking, your your witnesses, they share what they're going to say. And when it's your turn to speak, uh, just make basically just one point. There might have been multiple responses to you, in you, to what I said, or what we brought up so far. Um... Don't share everything you can. Just share one thing. And then another person can share one thing from them. And it goes around this way. And then when it comes back to you, then you can share more. Then you can maybe add to what you said, or if you don't have anything new to say, you can say something, you know, fill in, or elaborate on what you said earlier. But as you listen to people, that also might elicit responses inside of you, personal responses or ideas or inspirations or something. So it might, that also may, might be something you share—not that you make a comment on what they said, but you know, if something arose in you that was significant, insight or understanding. Um, so that as you go around and around, you're kind of kind of uh, uh, inspiring each other or evoking things in each other, and hopefully this topic will become richer in, in that way. Does that make sense? The format. So uh, why don't you form for groups of four? I don't know if we are exact multiple of four here. Um, So if you don't find a group of four, just walk towards me and maybe we'll make one group or two groups or something of five. So why don't you... uh,